Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold i had a, a good time at the new orleans investment conference and a lot of stuff was going on while i was away i was kind of dying to really do a podcast but i was busy and i had a chance to uh uh, talk about some of these issues in front of a live audience. But probably the biggest data point of the week was on Friday when we got the official government non-farm payroll report for October. And, you know, one of the things that everybody is repeating, uh, Fed Chairman Powell repeated it, at his press conference on Wednesday, I'll get to that a bit later in the podcast, but President Biden continues to repeat this mantra that we've got a strong labor market. We've got very low unemployment. We're creating all these jobs. We've got this resilient economy thanks to this very robust, very strong labor market. And once again, or maybe not once again, but we finally got a report that really throws a lot of cold water in the face of that narrative. And, you know, we've had a lot of reports that have come out where they were beats and then they would get revised down the the following month. But I was always dissecting these reports, looking beneath the headlines and revealing a lot of the, the hidden weakness that was being ignored by, by the media, uh, you know, by the politicians, by the central bankers. Well, this time, I didn't have to do that. This time, the report is weak uh, from top to bottom. I mean, it's not just superficially strong. It's superficially weak, and then it's weak, even weaker when you get beneath the surface. So first of all, they were expecting 180,000 jobs created which wasn't that many jobs considering some of the reports that we've gotten from previous numbers. So they were looking for 180,000 and we got 150,000. So it was a miss, but beneath the surface of that miss was an even bigger miss. First of all, in the private sector, only 99,000 jobs were created. These are private sector jobs. And that means that 51,000 or 34% of all the jobs that were created during the month 
were government jobs. The government hired 34% of the people who got jobs. Now, that is not strength. That is weakness. First of all, I've mentioned this in the past, but when the private sector creates a job, that doesn't cost you and I any money. I mean, it will if we buy the product or the service that that company is selling because the wages of the workers are going to be embedded in those prices. But, you know, we're still getting something for our money. We're buying something and, you know, we're paying the cost. And, of course, if you don't buy those goods or services, then you don't bear the cost of those workers. But when the government hires somebody, particularly the federal government, everybody is going to bear that burden. There is no profit-generating enterprise to absorb the costs. How does the government pay for new hires? Well, out of its tax revenue, although now it's not out of tax revenue, it's out of new borrowing because the government is borrowing all the money to pay these workers, which is going to mean higher interest rates and more inflation. You know, by the way, I looked this morning and the national debt is now above 33.7 uh, trillion. So we've added 700 billion to that 33 trillion. It's taken just over six weeks to do that. That is a rapid pace that annualizes out to more than five trillion a year addition to the national debt. So we are blowing up the debt. Uh, we're increasing the debt much faster than the official budget deficits, which are still showing just under two trillion. We're more than double that amount, and we're not even officially in a recession yet, although I believe that we are in recession. Uh, and in fact, the official recession may have already started this quarter. And I think this jobs report is a good indication of the recession. The fact that only 99,000 private sector jobs were created and pretty much all of those jobs went to people who already had jobs. These are second jobs. These are third jobs. We had a huge surge last month in the number of people who have multiple jobs. 396,000 more people in October took on a second or a third job. This is a record high, eight and a half million moonlighting Americans working multiple jobs. In fact, if you go back, and I wrote this number down, uh, since April of 2003, according to the government, 1.234 million jobs were created, but only 191 more people actually were working. <laughs> how is that possible? Right? How could you create 1.2 million jobs, but only get 191 more workers? Because the jobs went to people who already had jobs. So we don't have new people in the workforce. We just have people in the workforce working more jobs. And again, I've explained in the past that is a sign of weakness, not strength. The fact that people can no longer pay the bills with one job, the fact that you now need two or three jobs to cover the expenses that you used to cover with one job, that's not a strong labor market. That is a very weak labor market because labor, the return on labor is collapsing. Workers can't earn enough money to pay the rent, uh, you know, to pay uh, all their other bills. I just got today. Just before I went on this podcast, I got a, an email from my insurance agent in Connecticut just sending me uh, my bill for my homeowner's insurance for Connecticut, for my house down there that I barely use. And so I, I got the renewal, and I think it was just over 16000 for the policy. And he said, you know, just sign this. And I said, well, how does that compare to what I paid last year? And I know last year I got a huge increase. And it was about a $3,000 increase over what I paid last year, which is 19%. I mean, what? The official inflation rate is 3%, 3.5%. Yet my homeowner's insurance went up by 19%. Sure. I mean, I actually got a, a, a fixed rate mortgage on that property at 3 and 3 eighths. It's the only mortgage I got. Uh, uh, but so I'm doing good there. But look at how much my insurance is going up. I mean, that's got to be. Uh, happening all over the country. Obviously, they're not singling out my house uh, for a 19% hike. 
if it's going up for me, it's going up everywhere. And my agent said, look, he shopped it around, and this is the best deal he can find, right? So if there was a, a, a lower increase on, on this insurance, um, he would have got it for me. But that is more typical uh, of what's going on. And that's why people are having to take multiple jobs, because they have no other way of paying uh, for these bills. So this is not a sign of strength. But there's all sorts of other signs of weakness and recession. The unemployment rate went up to 3.9%. Now, you might think, well, that's still low, which is true, but look at the direction. We were at 3.4% in April. So a full half a percentage point increase, which is a big move, especially as a percentage of the old rate. So the unemployment rate is rising very rapidly. In fact, you don't usually see that big an increase in unemployment if you're not at the beginning of a recession. And I think clearly we are. Also, here's some other numbers that should raise an eyebrow. The birth death model, and I've talked about the birth death model on this podcast. What that is, is the government just assumes that a certain number of new businesses were formed every month. And of course, it nets out the businesses that may be shut down, right? So that's the birth and the death, the birth of new businesses and the death of old businesses. Now, obviously, as new businesses are born, well, they're hiring people. And as old businesses are dying, they're, they're firing people. But if you net it out, you get the end result of the birth-death model. And in October, the birth-death model added 400 and I wrote that down. Where is it? 400, uh, 412,000 jobs. 412,000. There were only 150,000 jobs created, yet 412,000 of those jobs that were created were from the birth-death model. So if you take that out, we lost hundreds of thousands of jobs. Now, does the government have any evidence that these jobs actually exist? No, they don't have any evidence. They're just guessing because they think the economy is so strong, they're just assuming that all these new businesses were formed and that they hired all these people. Well, why would you assume that? Given what's happening with interest rates, given what's happening with consumer prices, if you had to make a guess as to whether more businesses started up or shut down in the month of October, I would say shut down. I mean, look at what's happening with bankruptcies, uh, savings tax revenues. One of the reasons that the deficits are exploding is because that tax revenues are imploding. So if the government is collecting less taxes, what does that mean? That means there's probably fewer businesses that are operating uh, paying those taxes. So all the anecdotal evidence would suggest to anybody other than a government statistician that we're probably losing businesses, not gaining them. Yet that 412,000 jobs that were assumed came into existence from the birth-death model is the second highest ever. So who's going to believe that this is the second strongest economy we've ever had? That right now, or the month of October, things were so good, the economy was so strong and booming that more new businesses started than in any other month in the history of America with the exception of one other month. Who is going to believe that nonsense? Nobody is going to believe that nonsense. In fact, I have more proof that people don't believe that nonsense. I'm going to talk about that and continue to digest and dive into these uh, jobs numbers or lack of jobs numbers on the other side of this uh, commercial break. So stick around. I will be right back. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you 
regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. I'm talking about the government's uh, jobs report that is getting very little coverage uh, in the media. You know, on the financial news, on CNBC, they kept talking about this jobs report as if it was another Goldilocks report, right? Just right. Not too hot, not too cold, that maybe the Fed's going to be on hold now that we've got a, a weaker than expected jobs report. This isn't just weaker than expected. This is an extremely weak report, which strongly suggests that the economy is in recession. Now, again, not just this BS uh, regarding the, the birth death, because clearly the economy is not so good that this is the second best month in the history of new jobs, new companies being formed. Based on the record increase in, in bankruptcies, there's probably actually a record number of businesses going under. So my guess would be that the birth death model actually eliminated jobs. It didn't add them. So we probably lost jobs uh, in the month of October. Again, I know that the, the one kind of jobs we definitely lost were full-time jobs. In fact, in the October report, the weakest number was manufacturing. We lost 35,000 manufacturing jobs. These are the productive jobs. These are the goods producing jobs. They're also high paying jobs with benefits. We lost 35,000 of those and we gained 51,000 government jobs. Again, not only do these government jobs run up the deficit and are therefore inflationary because they're ultimately going to be financed by money printing. And if they're not, well, they're pushing up interest rates. And so you're going to pay for it that way. But the government jobs don't produce anything. The, the manufacturing jobs did. Whatever they were manufacturing, now they're not doing it. So we get less stuff. We have more government workers who want to buy stuff. When a government worker gets a paycheck, he can take that paycheck and go buy things, even though he didn't do anything to help make things. In fact, most government workers get in the way of the productive process. They're there to you know, uh, impede production with bureaucracy and tied up in red tape. I wonder how many of those uh, employees were the new IRS agents. You know, we're, we're losing manufacturing jobs, but we're hiring more IRS agents to harass those, manu those uh, small businesses that haven't failed yet. I mean, is that economic strength that we're replacing our, our factory workers with IRS agents? <laughs> I don't think so. And who knows? what uh, other areas of the government these guys work. The problem is they're not productive and they're going to run up the deficit. But I mentioned before the break that people are not falling for um, these uh, unemployment numbers, these, are, uh, these uh, BS numbers. Look at the most recent poll that came out of, um, it was a New York Times poll, I think, did it. But it was a presidential poll. And Joe Biden is losing in every swing state he won in 2020, except for one. Meaning that if we actually had the election today, even though Trump is, you know, under indictment and in court now with all sorts of uh, criminal charges, right? If we had the election today, Trump would win in a landslide. And, of course, we're not having the election today. We're going to have the election in a year when we're actually deep in this official recession that nobody wants to acknowledge. You know, people don't necessarily remember this. But the Great Recession that we had in um, 2007 and 2008 and then went into 2009, 
That Great Recession officially started in the fourth quarter of 2007. And I remember in the fourth quarter of 2007, it was very similar to today. Whereas everybody was talking about how we had a great economy. In fact, they were using the same Goldilocks, you know, analogy back then as they're using now. And all through the first half of 2008, it was the same old nonsense about how we had this great economy. You know, the greatest story I never told. That's what Kudlow used to say when I used to go on his show. Uh, You know, we had this, you know, really strong economy. And I kept saying it's not, you know, it's, it's, I, I kept pointing out all these problems, particularly in the housing market and the mortgage market. And when we debated, even up to the summer, I'm talking August, right, of 2008, right, just before we fell off a cliff and we had the bankruptcy of uh, Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers and, and, and everything imploded. And then we had to bail everybody out with the TAR program. Just before we went over the edge of a cliff, I was doing these shows and people were saying that there's no recession anywhere in sight. Like, I don't know what Peter Schiff is talking about. Everything looks great, right? There's no recession looming on the horizon. We were in the middle of the worst recession since the Great Depression. And they didn't know that because it wasn't until the fourth quarter of 2008, so a year after the recession started, that anybody knew officially that we were in one. Because the government statisticians went back for an entire year and revised down all of the rosy numbers that they had originally reported and said, guess what? We told you that everything was great, and we're now going to revise all those great statistics to tell you we've been in a recession for an entire year. And it's the worst one since the Great Depression. We only found that out a year in. Right? We were almost out of the recession by the time the government told us we were in it. So I think the same thing is happening in the fourth quarter of 2023. I think that they're going to go back and revise the numbers for this quarter. And we may find out that the official recession, if they ever will declare one again, because remember, the last recession that we had that should have been official, we had two quarters of negative GDP growth, and we now found out that they revised that, and they made that recession even deeper than we originally were told, but then we were told it wasn't actually a recession. And and so maybe they'll try that sleight of hand with this one, but I think they're going to come back and say this greater recession, which is going to be far greater than the Great Recession uh, in 08, started in the fourth quarter of 2023, and the jobs numbers that we got today are a pretty solid indicator that the recession has begun. And and despite that, you're you're not getting any real coverage of of the report. Now, there was a bit of a reaction in the dollar. You know, the dollar got sold very hard on Friday and closed near the lows of the day just that uh, 105. And on Wednesday of that week, we were trading above 107 on the dollar index. And uh, we, we had a sell-off on Thursday, a delayed reaction to the um, um, uh, Fed non-rate hike and press conference, which I will talk about uh, at the other side of this, the break that's coming up. But we had a delayed reaction. The dollar got clobbered on Thursday and then clobbered again on 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 Friday. And what the dollar did was very similar to what gold did in the other direction weeks earlier. And I, I, I pointed that out on this podcast as well. The dollar index put in a reversal week, outside reversal week, where the dollar index during the week, and this is last week, traded above the previous week's high, and then not only took out the previous week's low, but closed substantially below that low. And to me, when you see something like that, right, that's significant. So I think that the high is in, the top is in for uh, the dollar. 
And if the top is in for the dollar, that means the bottom is in for inflation. Because the main reason that the official measures of inflation came down from 9% to closer to 3%, now they're, they're headed back up. But it wasn't the rate hikes. That's not what did it. I mean, the rate hikes indirectly did it. What did it was that the rate hikes made the dollar go up. We had a big rally in the dollar on the rate hikes. That brought down uh, the cost of imports for the United States. A lot of commodity prices went down. And, and so that was a major factor in bringing down headline CPI. Remember, core CPI never came down nearly as much as the headline. It didn't go up as much. It didn't come down as much. So it's remained you know, more in a 5% range or something like that. But we got the headline number down really thanks to the strong dollar. Well, if the dollar is now topped out because people can figure out that the Fed is pretty much done hiking and looking at the underlying weakness in the economy that we're headed to recession if we're not already in one, that uh, the dollar is, is sniffing that out and now the dollar is falling, that means we're going to see renewed upward pressure on commodity prices, oil in particular, which has pulled back but is now you know, hanging out in the low 80s. But again, I think it's getting ready for an explosive move well above 100 and beyond. And other commodities, I expect uh, to, to participate in this big rally. That means that inflation is going a lot higher because now the dollar is going down. And what's the Fed going to do about it at this point right now? If they're done hiking, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute based on Powell's uh, statements and, and the Q&A. But how, what's, how's the Fed going to react to that? And they've already raised interest rates 525 basis points, and inflation starts to head up. Meanwhile, you know, again, we, don't, we can't uh, play around with a strategic petroleum reserve because that's also one of the main reasons that the headline number came down was because we dumped all this oil on the market to try to artificially suppress the price of oil, which we were able to do in the short run. But the problem is then you run out of oil, and now in the long run, the consequences, you get even higher prices, which I think are going to arrive uh, by the election. So Biden was able to save the Democrats in the Senate uh, with in the midterms by uh, dumping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. But he's not going to be able to do that in the general election. And, the, you know, the markets really... The betting markets, I'm surprised. I look on predicted.com and I've been watching that. And the Democrats are still favorites to win. I mean, the margin of error or the, the I think it's like 57, 56 cents for, for Biden and like 46 cents for Trump or not even Trump, Biden, just Democrat, Republican, because, you know, Biden might not run. I mean, Biden is so unpopular. Just about any other Democrat beats him. Uh, in a hypothetical matchup with Trump or anybody else. So maybe the Democrats will, you know, will, will, you know, will do an LBJ and, and kick them off the ticket uh, and, and put somebody else up there because they know that, you know, if he's the standard bearer, that, you know, it, it's going to sink the ship. But despite these polls that are coming out showing uh, Trump, you know, winning in, 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 a, in a big way, it hasn't moved the needle at all. In, in these betting markets, even on the Republicans, because I can see some people think, well, maybe Trump won't be able to run. Something's going to happen uh, that's going to disqualify him or something. It doesn't matter. I mean, pretty much any Republican should be able to beat any Democrat. Given a there's really not that much difference. I mean, there's some difference, but I mean, it's not dramatic uh, the way it should be. I mean, they're all big government uh uh, Republicans, Republicrats. But the point is, it's all about the pocketbook. And the reason that Biden is so unpopular now is because the economy stinks, because these job numbers are bogus. If the economy really was as good as Biden claims it is, as the Fed claims it is, Biden would have great polling numbers. He would be beating Trump in a landslide. The fact that he's losing in a landslide, despite these numbers, shows you that the numbers are BS. And the same thing was true when Trump ran the first time. That was one of the reasons, uh, you know, that he won, because the economy under Obama wasn't nearly as good as everybody claimed it was. And so they voted for Trump. But at least Obama wasn't running again. It was Hillary. Everybody is going to blame these problems 
on Biden. And there's no way somebody's going to go to the voting booth a year from now in a massive recession when they're working three or four jobs and maybe they had to ride their bicycle to the poll station because they can't afford gas anymore and they're hungry because they, they, they can't afford to eat. They're not going to vote for four more years. They're going to vote for anybody else, any other party, because they're going to hope that that vote's going to make a difference. Now, in, in the scheme of things, it's probably not. Uh, it's going to hit the fan regardless of who wins. But my point is, I don't know why these betting markets haven't adjusted to the reality uh, that Biden is in a lot of trouble because the economy and the labor market in particular is much weaker than everybody pretends. Anyway, we got another commercial break. I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about the rate hike or lack of rate hike and the press conference that followed the FOMC announcement that interest rates would not go up uh, in, in, uh, in November. So stick around. I'll be right back. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Before I move on to uh, the Fed, I want to just uh, revisit a little bit the jobs numbers. I think there's a, one or two data points that I, that I might have uh, forgot to mention. One were the revisions. So not only did we have a much weaker than expected report uh, for uh, October, especially in the private sector and in manufacturing, right? You know, because we, we kind of uh, papered that over with a bunch of government hires. But we revised down the prior two months by 101,000 jobs. So that's another 101,000 jobs that they told us last month had been created, and now we found out that, well, they weren't created at all. And I think there's a lot more jobs that the government is now claiming have been created that have not been created. And again, we're creating part-time jobs as we eliminate full-time jobs. In fact, one of the reasons that we are creating so many part-time jobs is that you need two or three part-time jobs to replace a full-time job. So one of these guys who just lost their job in manufacturing, right, one of those 35,000 guys or gals that used to work in manufacturing, and now they have to hobble together a living with two or three part-time jobs. As far as Biden is concerned, that's a win because three minus one is two. So there's two net jobs created by destroying one full-time job. But the employee was better off with one good job than three lousy jobs. And of course, when you have three lousy jobs, you know, you got to go between jobs. You don't get paid for that as you're trying to transport yourself from one job to another job, you're probably working odd hours, maybe nights, maybe you're working weekends, whatever you're doing. It's not a very good schedule uh, that's friendly to your family or other relationships or, or leisure or things you want to do. So this is a deterioration uh, in the economy, in the standard of living. And also, I want to make sure I made this point. Maybe I did, uh, but I'm not sure. But, you know, they have this household survey that comes out every month. They get the establishment survey, and you get the household survey. These household surveys every month have been showing huge job losses. And that was the case this month. 348,000 jobs were lost, according to the household survey, whereas 150,000 were gained, according to this establishment survey. The household survey, to me, is the more legitimate survey. That one, you know, rings truer to me, especially if you look at it in, you know, uh, you know, in the context of what's going on, that's what's happening. And, and, and that explains everything because you have these reporters or the Fed, whoever it is, they're scratching their head. They're trying to figure out, you know, why, why isn't 
Biden getting more credit for this great economy. Like, are the voters just dumb? They don't, they don't realize how good things are and they're not giving Biden credit? No, he's not getting credit for it because there's nothing to credit him for. He's getting the blame for the bad economy because that's what actually happens. His, his approval rating is low. He's polling low because voters are blaming him. It's not that they're ignoring the economy. They're not. That is the primary thing that is driving their opinion. But you can't credit somebody for your uh, misery because that's really what's not being captured by these numbers. I mean, if we had an honest misery index, it would probably reveal more misery than we had in the Carter days, which is why you have to go all the way back to Jimmy Carter to find a president as unpopular as Biden. I mean, think about it. I mean, what has Biden actually done that is pissing everybody off? I mean, I realize he's, you know, he's not that very the sharp guy and he you know, hasn't done anything good, but the average American probably has no idea. He's too busy working two or three jobs to even know what Biden's doing. The reason that he's, uh, you know, doesn't like Biden is because he's working all those jobs, because the cost of living is going up so much. That's why Biden's unpopular, because people are thinking the economy stinks and it's his fault. And they think maybe if we had another guy at the top, things would get better. And maybe they look back to the time when Trump was there pre-COVID and compared to the way things are now, yeah, they, they had it better. It was better then. And, and so, uh, you know, they, they want to change and that's what they're going to do. But anyway, let's go and talk about the Fed because the Fed left interest rates unchanged as was expected, right? I mean, uh, the Fed never wants to confound expectations. They never want to surprise the market. So if the markets expect no rate hike, well, they deliver. Uh, no rate hike. And that's what happened. And, um, you know, during his prepared remarks before he took the Q&A, Powell once again talked about the economic hardships that inflation is creating. He, he acknowledges that. He always uses the word hardship. But what he doesn't understand, or at least he doesn't, he pretends he doesn't understand it or he doesn't, and what the media doesn't seem to get is since inflation is caused by the government and caused by the Federal Reserve, it's the government and the Fed that are creating that hardship. It's not like it's just happening out of left field that, oh, this inflation came, came along and, oh, my God, look at all the hardship. No, no, no. The government created this hardship because the government decided to tax everybody with inflation. Now, had they used another form of taxation, had the... Biden administration, not the Trump administration for that matter, had they raised taxes enough to pay for all these government programs, that would have created hardship too. Families would be struggling under the burden of crushing taxation. So because the government decided to tax them through inflation as opposed to through the income tax or the payroll tax, the hardship that is being created is because of government, right? It's not just something that's happening by, by, by happenstance and, oh, the government is running to the rescue because this horrible inflation has, has, has descended on us and, 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 and is causing all this, all this hardship. The government is the source of the hardship. Inflation is just the mechanism by which the government is delivering that hardship. Now, he also, you know, again, he reiterated that the Fed's goal is price stability, that we're going to restore price stability. But no one ever says, why? why? What's so good about price stability? Why, why is that the goal? I mean, what about lower prices? Because price stability, the way a normal person would define it, is prices stay the same. Well, I'm a consumer. I'd rather have prices go down than prices remain the same. So what if prices went down 1% a year or 2% a year? Why is that so bad? Why does the Fed have to replace that with stability? Now, again... What the economists will tell you is, oh, that would be a disaster because people will stop consuming because nobody's going to buy anything if they think they can get it 1% cheaper next year, which is nonsense on its face. I mean, why am I the only one that actually you know, calls this BS out? I mean, think about it. Let's take food, for example. Let's say you think that the price of food is going to be 1% or 2% cheaper next year. Are you going to wait? Are you going to starve yourself while you're waiting for food prices to come down 1% or 2%? No, you're going to eat when you're hungry and you're going to pay whatever the price is. Now, 
as a consumer, if somebody asks me, hey, Peter, when you buy your food next year, would you rather it be 1% or 2% cheaper or 1% or 2% more expensive? Well, I'd rather it be cheaper, of course. I'd always rather buy stuff for less money because, you know, if my food was cheaper, I'd have more money left over to buy something else. But if food goes up in price, well, then I can't buy something else because I got to spend that money on food. So we don't really need price stability. It's kind of a BS goal. Uh, uh, but we don't even have a goal of price stability because the way the Fed defines price stability is prices that go up every year by 2%. Well, there's nothing stable about that other than the rate of increase, but something is not stable if it's going up. So the Fed says that its mission is that the cost of living go up 2% every year. So they don't want stable prices. They want prices that rise in a predictable manner. And what Powell admitted was that we're nowhere near our goal. He said, you know, inflation is way above our 2% target. And um, there's a long way to go before we can get inflation back down to 2%, right? So that, and he's been saying that, uh, but even though we're down to whatever, three and a half, he's still saying it's, it's a long process. It's going to take a long time. And, you know, he's underestimating it. You know, waiting for inflation to go to 2% is going to be, you know, like waiting for Godot. It's never going to happen. And in fact, as I said earlier, based on what I'm seeing in the foreign exchange markets, we've already bottomed in inflation and um, we're heading up. But anyway, the Powell then promised that the Fed is going to do everything in its goal to achieve this price stability and full employment. Right? That's also its dual mandate. Like, you know, the Fed can create jobs. Um, but the, it, it is promising or Powell promised that um, that is what, what he's going to do. Anyway, so we, we get into the Q&A, which is generally where all the interesting stuff happens. And again, in that Q&A, he kept talking about how our economy is so resilient, right? How we have a very strong, he didn't just say the economy was strong. He said it's very strong. Well, we just got two days later, a very weak jobs report where we're hemorrhaging jobs. I mean, how is the economy so strong if the labor market is that weak? And again, government tax receipts are falling. In a strong economy, they would be, they would be rising, not falling. Uh, so I don't know where Powell is looking. I think he's just reading a script that the Biden administration handed him because he's just reiterating their, their talking points to try to talk up the economy so that Biden can get credit for it. Uh, and again, he said the labor market was very strong. He didn't just say it's strong. He said we have a very strong labor market. Again, how can it be very strong if you need three jobs uh, to, to, to be able to buy what you used to be able to buy with, 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 with one job? Um, now, there was some reporters that were asking him about tightening, about further tightening. Like, how do you, how do you know? Like, because he's paused, right? They didn't, they didn't hike. And there are a lot of people that are thinking, well, they're done. They're not going to even do that extra quarter point. And some people are asking him, well, you know, what are you looking at to determine whether or not you're going you're gonna to hike? And he said, well, you know, we look at the economy, we look at the labor market and, and financial conditions, and, and, we, and we're going to make a decision as to what we're going to do. Now, of course, you know, he doesn't look at fiscal conditions. He doesn't mention we look at all the government spending uh, and the budget deficits, which he should be looking at. Or, you know, we look at all the consumer debt uh, or, you know, consumer spending or lack of savings and realize that, gee, we got rates too low, right? No, no, no. They're just looking at these official numbers. Well, if they're looking at those official numbers, what happens now as the unemployment rate starts to go up? Powell's going to think, oh, that means that the economy or the labor market is weakening. And so that means that we shouldn't hike. But the, one of the reasons that the labor market is going to be weakening is because inflation is going to be strengthening. And if he's going to focus on a weakening labor market and ignoring a, a strengthening inflation. But again, nobody seems to understand inflation. Powell, again, talked about consumer confidence, saying, look, you know, 
inflation expectations remain well anchored. He said that we'd have to be concerned if consumer expectations started to rise, which they've already done, by the way. I mean, he's ignoring that. He's claiming that expectations are anchored, but they're actually adrift at this point. But yes, I, you know, consumers don't realize just how bad inflation is going to be. But Powell said, I don't, we don't want to risk letting those expectations get out of hand because he's still of the belief that inflation is a function of what you expect. If you expect high inflation, well, then you'll get it. Again, that's just the government trying to blame the people for the problem, saying it's your fault. It, you know, you just expected inflation and that's why you got it. You know, if, if you weren't so pessimistic, right, if you didn't demand higher wages, if businesses didn't raise their prices, well, you know, we wouldn't have any of this inflation, right? They're trying to take themselves off the hook for creating the inflation in the first place. The consumer is only reacting to it. And in fact, to show you how little Powell understands about the economy, when, when he was talking about why the economy was so strong and why it was so resilient, here's what he said. This is what he was telling the reporters, like he's like explaining to these reporters, like why we have this great economy, like what's the secret sauce behind this super strong economy? And he said, well, consumers are still spending. Even though we've raised rates, consumers keep on spending. And he said that that spending is creating jobs. We're getting all these extra jobs because of all this spending. And it's also causing wages to go up. And that's causing to go up. And as people's incomes go up, well, they're spending more money. And now more money being spent means more people being hired. And he, he basically said, this is um, the dynamic. This is this great dynamic. It's really good. You know, everything is perfect, right? It's kind of a self-perpetuating spiral of, of prosperity where we're spending our way into, in, into wealth. And that's why we're so strong. It's like consumers keep on spending. They're spending because prices are going up. That's why they're spending. They're spending because the money supply has gone up. They've got more money to spend. And they're spending because they're still able to access credit. And they're taking that borrowed money and spending it. This is not how you grow an economy. This is how you destroy an economy. This is not a virtuous uh, dynamic that he is describing. It is a vicious one uh, that is going to end in, in ruin. Because you don't grow an economy by people spending money. People spend money because you've had a growing economy. You grow the economy by not spending money. You grow the economy by saving money under consumption. That is uh, the seed corn for capital investment, which increases productivity, economic output, production. You produce your way to prosperity. You save your way and then invest and produce your way into prosperity. That's the way to do it. We're not doing that. We're trying to put the cart before the horse. You know, we're trying to uh, reap the rewards of a growing economy without actually growing the economy. Now, we do that by relying on our trading partners. Our trading partners are producing goods and we're running these huge trade deficits and we're taking the dollars that we print and we're using those dollars to buy all uh, the goods that foreign factories uh, produce, but that is not a strong economy. It is an inflationary economy. It's inflation that is driving everything. And Powell just doesn't realize that. He's looking at the strong economy and he's thinking everything is good. He's looking at inflation. He just doesn't understand that. And so he thinks he's making all this progress. And he talked about all the progress that he's made. Now he admitted that you know it's not mission accomplished. He can't say that. So the Fed is still fighting vigilantly to, you know, put this inflation, you know, beast down. But in the meantime, we've got this resilient economy. And in fact, he reiterated again that in order to get inflation down to 2%, two things are going to have to happen. He said that growth is going to have to be a bit below potential, right? So not like we're going to have to have a recession. No, no, don't worry about that. We're just going to grow a little bit more slowly than what our potential is. And then the other thing he said is that the strong labor market just needs to soften a touch. That's all we really need. So a little bit softer labor market and a little bit slower than potential growth, and that'll be it. right? And meanwhile, we can keep on spending all this money. We can keep running these huge deficits, and, and, and none of that matters. 
And of course, none of that is true. I mean, you listen to this press conference and, you know, you got a bunch of ignorant uh, reporters asking an ignorant, ignorant Fed chairman uh, all these questions. And they're not even good questions, but the, the, the answers may even be, uh, you know, worse than the questions themselves. But nobody there in that room really understands anything about the economy or anything about inflation. And they're all going to be completely blindsided uh, by, by what's going to be happening uh, in the economy and, and with inflation. And again, that is our opportunity as investors to recognize how this is going to shake out. And at this point, I just don't think there's any more rabbits that they can pull out of a hat. Right? I don't think there's a way that they're going to be able to kick the can uh, down the road on um, the way they have been for, for many, many years. They've been able to surprise me. They've been able to do stuff uh, that has delayed the day of reckoning. But again, only at the expense of making it worse, building up the problem so that when we have to deal with that, there's a lot more to reckon with because we didn't do it sooner. Right about, you know, you're in a ditch. Well, if you keep on digging and digging and digging, uh, you know, you're going to have a harder time getting out of that hole. Right. I always said, you know, the, the first rule of holes is when you find yourself in one, you stop digging. Well, no, we found ourselves in a hole. And then we said, well, let's keep digging because we don't want to admit that we're in a hole. Uh, and so let's dig. And so now we you know we got the Grand Canyon of holes and we're still digging it. Uh, but, you know, we're going to run out of room here. And, and so people have to look at, like what I said earlier about, um, about the, uh, the national debt and the trajectory that it's on and the, what's happening with interest rates. Because it's not just rising rates that are blowing off the deficit. It's the weakening economy that is hurting tax revenues and increasing expenditures. So all that dynamic is at play and it's going to get worse. The other thing I wanted to mention that happened during the week was Sam Bankman-Fried finally got convicted, I think, of seven counts of whatever he was charged with. And I think in aggregate, he's looking at maybe 100 years in, in prison. I don't know if the judge is going to be that harsh on, on the guy because he's, you know, he's pretty young. I guess that's like a life sentence. Um, so maybe he won't get the maximum. But, you know, the thing that really struck me about the coverage, because I was watching this coverage on, uh, on CNBC. And CNBC put this guy up on a pedestal. When he was out there BSing everybody about earn to give, you know, uh, on this new kind of uh, capitalism, uh, I don't want anything for myself. It's all for the good of humanity and mankind. They were all over this guy. I mean, they put him up on this big pedestal. They basically proclaimed him, you know, the new uh, J.P. Morgan or Warren Buffett, wherever he was. He was the, the, the new uh, uh, financial uh, genius of our time, right? He was going to you know, this, be this pillar of the new uh, e Internet or, or, or uh, crypto economy. And, and, and he, he was at the, the base of it. He was, uh, you know, our generation's. Uh, um, Rockefeller or Morgan, whoever it was, they were comparing him to all kinds of great financiers and, and capitalists and philanthropists. I mean, he was the greatest, right? <laughs> they completely bought his BS, hook, line, and sinker. So they, I mean, the way they're covering it now, you would think that, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we, this guy was a fraud uh, from the beginning. Yeah, they, they didn't know. And in fact, a lot of the people that invested in FTX might have done it because of the favorable one-sided coverage uh, that he was getting in the media, particularly the financial media like CNBC about FTX. Not only did they get you know all these uh, you know famous pop stars and athletes doing commercials and endorsements, but you had the mainstream media you know touting this guy, and so people uh, had confidence and they put money into FTX and they lost it. But then. On top of all that, I was watching the coverage, and I was in New Orleans, right? This is later in the day. I'm up in my hotel room, and I'm watching this coverage. And it's basically nonstop Bitcoin pumping. 
Like, they just decided to use this conviction as, like, a springboard to, like, pump Bitcoin. You know, they had Michael Novogratz on there. They had uh, Anthony uh, Scaramucci, I think, you know, talking Bitcoin, Bitcoin, everything's great. Yep, we got this behind us. Now we're going to take off and go to the moon. And, you know, of course, Bitcoin is up around 35,000 right now. Having nothing to do with that, it's up because of all the speculation surrounding uh, the, the ETFs and the fact that the Grayscale Trust uh, may become an ETF. And, but all this is just a bunch of gambling. Uh, but the reason you had these frauds like Yashinsky uh, and Bankman Freed, the media didn't ferret these guys out. I did. I mean, although I didn't really talk too much about Bankman Freed because I didn't really look at him. Too bad I didn't get to debate him. If I would have actually looked at him a little bit closer, I would have seen he was a fraud immediately. It was so obvious. Uh, but the crypto community, uh, you know, didn't, didn't want to admit that. They didn't want to look beneath the surface because they were afraid of what they might find. You know, meanwhile, yeah, we indicted uh, or we convicted Sam Bankman-Fried. What about all the politicians that took his money? Why isn't anybody filing charges against these guys? Why are there no investigations? You're telling me none of these politicians knew or cared where all this money was coming from? This guy was funneling all this cash into all these politicians? And I don't think any of them have given the money back. Why, why, does, why don't they have to give it back, right? Why, why isn't it clawed back? The money was stolen. The guy steals a bunch of money and gives it to these politicians. Don't the politicians feel like, gee, the, these people who lost their money, they, they should get it back? So there's no, no, nobody else. I mean, the only guy that's taken the fall is Bankman Free. Now, I know he had a couple of his people, his so-called girlfriend or another guy, you know, ratted him out. And, and so they'll get a lighter sentence because they testified against him. But in many ways, I mean, the kid was his own worst enemy when it came to uh, the way he testified and the things that he said uh, publicly, um, you know, before, before he was even charged or in, and then and, you know, tried. Um, but that, that's where we should go. I mean, the media, you know, the government wants to make a big deal. Oh, we got this guy. Well, it took you so long. You know, that, that's the problem. I mean, the fraud should have been obvious years before it collapsed. Right? But governments never want to do anything to rain on the parade or upset the apple cart. And that's the same thing with the economy. Right? The, the financial crisis of 2008 was obvious. But nobody wanted to do anything to defuse that bomb because it would have accelerated a crisis. There would have been some pain that would have been necessary to prevent the financial crisis. And so we didn't do anything to prevent it because nobody wanted that pain. The same thing is happening again today, except it's worse. The crisis that we're heading for is much bigger than what we experienced in 08. But also what we would need to do, the steps that we would need to take now to, I don't even know if we can avert the crisis, but we can diminish its impact if we get out in front of it, right? If we do what's necessary now with respect to spending cuts and deregulation and, and, and allow assets to reprice and allow people to lose money, if we do all the right things today, we will mitigate the, the severity of the crisis. We can't at this point, there's no way to stop it. It's just so big, it's gonna have to happen, but we can get out in front of it and do it on our terms. Uh, which would be a lot better than, than the market's terms. But again, that's not going to happen because no politician is willing to accept that. They will do whatever they can to postpone it until there's a crisis. So with Bankman Freed, it wasn't until FTX collapsed. They didn't want to take any action to minimize the size of the scam, the size of the Ponzi, before it imploded. They just wait for it to implode and then they show up, right? It's like, you know, the cavalry waits till the Indians have killed everybody, and then they come riding in with the blue. blue what good is it? You know, you need to, you need to come earlier. You can't wait till everybody's dead. But that's what the government does, right? You know, all the horses are gone, right? They left the barn, and then they come and they say, "Okay, we're going to close the doors." You know, where were you? You should have closed the doors when the horses were still there, right? Not after every one of them is gone. But this is what the government has a history of doing, no matter what, and they're doing the same thing again. So we are going to have this crisis 
it is close, uh, and it's going to be uh, far more severe. The impact is going to be far greater. You look at the price of gold, it's still not going up. It's 1980. That's fooling people into thinking, hey, you know, gold's not taking off, so it can't be that bad. It's going to take off, and when it does, people are going to be shocked by how rapidly it rises and how much it rises. So don't be fooled. Oh, it hasn't gone up yet. You know what? It hasn't gone down either, and it's building a base, and it is going to rocket. So right now, you know, just got to get your house in order, contact Shift Gold, uh, get your gold and silver, talk to the reps at your Pacific Asset Management, get your financial house in order uh, before the house of cards that is the U.S. economy comes collapsing down. That's it for now. Don't forget, uh, like this video, subscribe to the channel, and I'll see you again later in the week for another podcast.